Do you ever, do you ever feel like, like you're, just, you're surrounded by people, but, but nobody really gets you? Like nobody really understands who you are. Like, you know, they, people think they know you, but, and they, they keep trying to assume what you're going to do, but you're going, like, you, don't, you don't even know me. You don't, maybe you feel that way about your parents. They keep telling you what to do, and you're going, they don't know me. That's, they think they do, but they don't know me. Feel that about your friends. They keep on mislabeling you. They keep on misjudging you, devaluing you. Like, they don't even get me. Maybe you feel like you're on the opposite end. Like, I'm all these young people. They don't think I have anything of value anymore. I used to be important. Now I'm not important. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I have to offer. Every parent, by the way, feels that way. Our kids, they don't know us at all. They think they do, but they don't know us. You feel that way from time to time. Rodney Dangerfield, I get no respect. You, you, you feel that way. Listen, if you've ever felt like people are all around you, but they don't get you, I believe God has a message for you today. There is somebody who gets you, who really gets you, and he loves you, and his name is Jesus. And because he gets you, he can meet your need when you most need it. It's exactly what the Lord is going to tell us this morning. We're going to jump right into the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 4. This is a sermon for all those who feel misunderstood and unknown and isolated and alone, how God wants to show us we are seen and known and loved. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, we're going to read just three verses. The entire morning is going to be about three verses, and they're beautiful verses, but for you to understand, I'm going to remind you what we were on a journey to the cross during the season of Lent. We're only... A couple weeks away, I don't know if you realize this, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then the week after that is Easter. I mean, it's, it's upon us, and I'm so excited about all that we get to do getting ready for Easter Sunday. But we're on a journey toward the cross because at the cross we meet Jesus, and when we meet Jesus, we find the one person who actually gets us, the one person who can help us. I want you to see how the book of Hebrews displays this for us, teaches us this, because we're going to dig into these and discover some beautiful truth this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read the whole passage. Here's what it says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now those, those three verses are so beautiful in how they describe Jesus. I mean, just, just think about some of the things that it says about Jesus. It says that he is the great high priest, not just a normal high priest, the great one who can meet us in our need, who can represent us to Almighty God. It says that he is the Son of God, God himself taking on flesh. It says that he is the sinless one who was tempted just like we are, but never once failed like we fell. It says that he is the one who invites us into the very throne of grace, the one place we can find what we most need. Beautiful truths of Jesus, but the most beautiful of all, if you ask me, is it says that our Jesus, he's sympathetic. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Now, I'll bet you if you've read that before, it didn't sound all that meaningful. Okay, Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. You just brush right past it. And the reason why is because you have a wrong understanding of what sympathy is. A lot of times when we conjure up the idea of sympathy, we think it means feeling sorry for somebody else. Like, like my, my Jovi is walking in trips and like, oh, poor baby, I feel sorry for her. Like that's sympathy. That's not what sympathy is. Sympathy is to feel the same pain as somebody else feels. Technically, the word is two Greek words put together. Sim, which is the Greek word soon, which means with, 
And pathi is the Greek word pathetes, which means suffering. It literally means to suffer with somebody else. It's me saying, I know how you feel and really meaning it. That's what genuine sympathy is. <laughs> has, has anyone ever said to you before, I know how you feel? And like you are certain they have no clue how you really feel. Like, doesn't that just tick you off when that happens? So I'm going I'm to confess something to you guys. Uh, just remind you, I'm flesh and blood up here and I have uh, unhealthy thoughts from time to time. Uh, anger can well up. So I had a, a, a dear brother of this church. Don't worry, none of you guys in this room. But a, a dear brother in this church come up to me and try to sympathize with me. That just ticked me off, if I'm being honest. Now, their heart was right, but their methodology was pathetic. So if you were here last year, then you probably remember the fact that I, I had the worst injury of my life uh, back in the end of October, where I had a, a fall and it ripped my three hamstring tendons right off the pelvis bone. It's a horrible injury. And, and, and by God's grace, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Here I stand, you would never know I had that massive injury if you were to look at me now. I got a full release from the surgeon. He says, it's attached, you're healed. I just finished PT this past week. I can go on my runs again for the first time. And God has been so great to me over this past year. And I praise God for it. There's one person happy right over there for me. Thank you. It wasn't even my wife. I mean, that's just sad right there. <laughs> but you know, when I first had the injury, the, the first couple of weeks, I didn't know if I would ever be able to walk again without a limp. I had, I had gone to see a couple of doctors, surgeons, and, and one of them was like, I, I don't know if we can operate because it's right next to the sciatic nerve and there could be a lot of damage. And he was trying to kindly say, you're getting a little too old. It may not be good for you. Uh, and so I don't know if we want to do this. And I thought I might walk with a limp the rest of my life. I could walk, but I walk like this all the time, anywhere I went. And I thought that might be the way I walk the rest of my life. I, I'm never going to get to run again. I don't know what's going to happen with my life. And it scared the fire out of me. And in the middle of that season, that unknowing time, a dear brother of the church came up to me and he's gone, oh man, Jason, I'm so sorry. I heard about your hamstring injury. I just want you to know, man, I know how you feel. A couple of years ago, I was going out for a run and I pulled my hamstring and like for two weeks I couldn't run. But brother, man, I, I know it's tough, but don't worry. You're going to make it. I made it. You're going to make it. I know how you feel. You want to know how I felt? I felt like grabbing his chin and going right across his face. Again, I'm confessing. I'm getting it off of my chest right now. It's the, the inner life of a pastor here. I, I wanted to slap a sheep in the church because of what he said. How good of a shepherd am I? But in my mom, you don't know how I feel. My hamstring is dangling at the bottom of my leg, and your little pool you think is the same thing. Give me a break. You do not know how I feel. You see, when you try to sympathize with somebody, but you don't really suffer with them, it just makes them mad. Even if it's not you, if you see it happening to somebody else, it still ticks you off. A dear friend of mine lost his wife after decades of marriage. And I heard somebody say something to him that just made me fume and mad. I wanted to form tackle the person. This person said to my dear friend, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I heard about your loss. I mean, I, I understand how you're feeling. I lost my cousin a couple of weeks ago, and I'm hurting. And I want to say, listen, I'm sorry for your loss. I know that hurts, but that is not the same thing as losing a spouse over decades of marriage. I want to say, get out of here. Don't you try to help this guy. You don't know how he feels. It is, it is not helpful. You've all experienced it before. Somebody says, I know how you feel, and you want to slap them because you know they don't know how you feel. In fact, when you try to sympathize with somebody, but you don't suffer with them, it's infuriating. But every once in a while, you find somebody who really does suffer with you, who really knows how you feel, and when that happens, there's divine power in that moment. 
I remember witnessing it. It was on a Sunday morning right here in this room. I wasn't preaching that Sunday. This was a while back. Pastor Gary was preaching, and he finished his sermon. And at the end of it, we had an invitation to go to the hospitality room outside. And I was the pastor who was over there at the time. And and a family came up. It was a big old family. And they were all weeping. And they came up to me for prayer. And I could see the mom and dad, and they're weeping. And I could see some of their other children and some aunts and uncles and grandparents. And they said, Pastor Jason, would you pray for us? We, We tragically lost our son this past week, and we're hurting so bad. We feel like we're in the pit of hell right now and we don't know what to do. Will you pray for us? And I was, I was just overwhelmed, I was crushed by the look in their eyes, but I knew what to do. I knew I needed to go find Gary and Sandy Smith. Now, if you don't know Gary and Sandy, he was the pastor before me here for 25 years, my mentor, still a part of this church. And he and his wife lost their son tragically at the age of 13. By the way, I asked Pastor Gary if I could share this story and he said, absolutely. He shared it many times from this pulpit. They experience the pain that every single parent is the worst nightmare of to think about. Losing a child. And I knew he was the only one, he and Sandy, to talk to this couple. So I, I ran and found them and I said, Gary and Sandy, would you, would you mind coming with me? Would you come just speak to this family? They need to hear from you. Let me tell you what I saw. I saw true sympathy. I saw Gary and Sandy come up to me, grab their hands and look them in the eyes. And it was like a miracle watching it take place because they knew exactly what to say and what not to say. And when they grabbed hands and they said, we know how you feel, you're going to make it, that family believed them because they'd been through it. When they prayed over them, it was like heaven descended upon the room because they could feel the pain, they could sympathize with it. And that, that family, they weren't completely healed, but they walked out stronger because there was somebody who felt what they felt, who suffered with them. That's the power of real sympathy. And so when it says that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, it means he has felt the burden of our pain and our suffering. He gets us better than anybody else. When Jesus says, I know how you feel, he means it. But just just think about the life of Jesus for a moment, if you don't mind. Just think about what he endured. Some of you in here go, but yeah, man, but I've been rejected hardcore by people who should love me. Well, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. The Messiah who came to took on flesh to save his very people, the Jewish people. And who were the ones spitting in his face, yelling, crucify him? The very ones he came to save. You want to know who felt rejection more than anybody? It's Jesus. He gets you. You ever felt misunderstood? Well, let me go ahead and talk about a man named Jesus. Misunderstood by everybody. Everybody completely contorting his teaching, claiming one thing and another about him. Utterly misunderstood by the very people who came to save to save. What about those of you who feel unfairly labeled by your friends, by your parents? They they speak things that aren't true about you. Well, let's talk about Jesus and how many times he was unfairly labeled. Both extremes. You got one side, they call him this crackpot prophet loony guy over here who's overly spiritual. And then another group saying, yeah, this dude's a, a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, he's mislabeled all over the place. If you feel unfairly labeled, trust me, he gets you. Yeah, but Jason, man, I've been abandoned by the people who should have cared for me, by a spouse, by a parent, by a child, been abandoned. Well, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. He has 12 disciples he's poured himself into, and in his moment of greatest need, what do they do? Hightail, completely abandon him to be taken over by a Roman band and crucified. Trust me, he gets you if you feel abandoned. And if you feel double-crossed, like somebody close to you stabbed you in the back, well, let's talk about Jesus again. He gives his life to a man named Judas for three years. 
And Judas turns around, stabs him in the back for 30 pieces of silver, hands him over to be crucified. Trust me, he gets you. Maybe you feel like you've been demeaned by other people, like they just keep putting you down. Well, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Let's talk about the moment they put a a robe, a purple robe around him and a crown of thorns and and mocked him all hell, the king of the Jews, and punched him and said, oh, go ahead and guess, oh prophet, who hit you in the face? Nobody was demeaned more than Jesus. Trust me, he gets you. Yeah, but I've been humiliated. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Stripped naked in front of crowds who jeered at him, then put on top of a cross where a passersby could spit at him and demean him. Yeah, he knows what it feels like to be humiliated. He gets you. You think about the worst possible emotional pain, he's felt it in more. The worst possible physical pain, he's felt it in more. The worst possible spiritual pain, being completely forsaken by his own father whom he's been with for eternity, trust me, he's felt it. When Jesus says, I know how you feel, he means it. He gets you. And here's the best part of that truth. Because he gets you, He can help you better than anybody else can help you. Because here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The one who gets you also contains the divine power of the Almighty to meet your need. It's exactly what verse 16 is talking about. Let's go back to that verse one more time. I want you to see the blessing of a God who gets us, who sympathizes, who suffers with us. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says, let us then, that then is because of what he just said before, because of who Christ is, because he's our great high priest who can represent us to God, because he suffers with us, because we can trust him, therefore let us draw near to the throne of grace, the one place where all our needs can be met. Let us draw near with confidence. Listen, because he gets you, he can invite you into the one place you need help, and you know he will not turn you away. That truth, verse 16, is the greatest gift of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would take on flesh. Here's what I want you to know. The the whole Bible up to this point, before the incarnation, before the Christmas story, when Jesus Christ takes on flesh, is a story of separation. Go read your Old Testament. Follow along in it, and you'll see pattern after pattern after pattern where the Israelites, the Jewish people, are scared to death of Yahweh God because he's so majestic so glorious. They can't get near him. Even the way the temple is set up, it is set up to create separation. So in the, in the innermost place of the temple is a place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God's holy presence dwells. There's on top of the, the Ark is a, a, a cherubim cover. It's called the mercy seat where you can receive mercy, where you can receive what you need. They need to get in the Holy of Holies. The problem is no one can go there because God in his holiness would kill any unholy person who went into that room. So there was not a single Jew who could walk into the Holy of Holies except one person, the high priest, and only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And even just to step into the Holy of Holies, he would have to whole day of purification rituals to get clean enough just to walk into this one room for one day. And they were so scared that he might die in there and they didn't want to go in after him. They would tie a rope around his ankle, put bells on him to hear him moving around so they knew he was still alive. And they knew if they heard the bell stop, God's holiness had killed him. They would just drag him out. They didn't want to go in after because you just can't get that close to the holiness of God. And right outside the, the most holy place is the holy place. Now, very few priests ever got to go into the holy place. That's where the table of showbread and the menorah and the incense altar were. And you had to be a priest chosen by lot just to get to go into the holy place. 
Most priests never got to go in. Separation after separation because of the holiness of God. Outside of that was the courtyard of the priests. And that's where they would make the animal sacrifices and they would slaughter the animals and they would cleanse their hands. Only priests of the lineage of Aaron could go to that place. Separation. Right outside the courtyard of the priests was the courtyard of the Israelite men. They could walk through a bit and they could stand and look at the priests doing the work, but they couldn't go up on the platform because the moment they stepped onto the platform, they would die right then because of the holiness of God. Right behind the courtyard of the Israelite men was a, was a wall and a gate. And on the other side of that gate, separated from the inside, was the courtyard of the women. They weren't even allowed to go through that gate to see the priests work because they were thought if they would go in, they would die. And then behind the courtyard of the Israelite women was another wall and another gate. And on the other side of that, completely separated, was the courtyard of the Gentiles. The vast majority of us in this room, not born into the lineage of, of the Israelites, couldn't go anywhere near because they would step in, they would die. Because the holiness of God. Layer after layer after layer after layer of separation. The one place they need to go is the Holy of Holies and they just can't get there. Because if God and his divine presence were to be near them, they would die. The one place we need help and can get it, we can't get to. And God sees us in our brokenness. And he decides to do the unthinkable. He steps out of the Holy of Holies and takes on flesh and comes to us. And he doesn't do it in majesty and power and glory. He's a, he does it in soft, supple flesh. A little baby who needs his diapers changed, who needs his mother to feed him. Almighty God takes on flesh. Why? So we would no longer be afraid to approach him. So we would no longer be afraid of his holiness. So we would come to the one place where we can get our needs met. I saw this in a really unusual way a number of years ago. I was, I was actually outside in the parking lot. If you, if you go out east toward Dallas a bit, you know, you hop over the admin building. We have that big old parking lot right out there. And it was a normal staff day in the middle of the week. And I was walking out there and I getting in my truck to come home for lunch at around noon. And I saw this dog just running free in the parking lot. Now, you need to know this about me. I'm a dog lover and a cat hater. That's, that's my temperament. I love dogs, uh, and I have always had labs, and just I, I think they're amazing. And I, if I see another dog, I'm going to want to help it. And I could tell it was groomed. It had a collar on, and it was getting way too close to Pioneer Parkway that runs right over here. And I knew what would happen if it got on Pioneer Parkway. And I didn't want that poor dog to be roadkill, and I didn't want some kid crying at home because their dog got hit. And I know I'd want somebody going to look for my dog if my dog got out, so I said, I better stop. So I, I get out of my truck, and I, I walk over toward the dog, and I go, okay, come here. Come on, come over here. And the moment I call for it, it darts right out into Pioneer Parkway. I'm like, come on, dog. Car's all swerving out of the way. And then it goes over to the median and then goes into the other side of traffic, which is eastbound heading toward Dallas. And that, so I'm like, golly. So I get in my truck. I, I call Virginia. I'm, I'm running late for lunch. I got to get this dog. And so I go over down to the, this intersection at Pioneer and Fielder. And I flip a UE and I come back this direction. And I'm, I'm driving slowly because the dog is in the middle of the road. And I'm trying to keep the rest of the traffic from hitting it. Finally, it goes over to the other side where there's a church and there's a field over there and I, and I see it in there. So I pull over to the side and I realize this, this dog is skittish, so I'm going to have to be really calm. So I get out of my truck and I get down real low. You know, you do what you're supposed to do. If you, if you know dogs, you're supposed to real high pitch. Come here. Come here, baby. Come here. I got you. I'm not going to hurt you. Come on. You, you got to be gentle, right? I'm being as gentle as can be. And the dog is finally kind of crawling toward me. Gets about 10 feet away. 
Like, that's a good boy. Woof, darts right off, right back into traffic. I'm like, you dumb dog. I'm trying to help you. And I, about 20 minutes, I'm over there trying to get this dumb dog to come to me. Finally, it darted off back into the grounds behind a building. I didn't see where it went. I had to give up. I knew I wasn't going to be able to help it. And I was just ticked. I, I get in my, my truck to drive home, and I'm upset because now I'm hungry. I'm late for lunch, and I didn't help the dog. And I'm sort of going, like, this would be a really good time to be serious black, like to be able to just change for a little bit, become a dog just for a second so I could help that dumb dog out. Because if I could just come up there and just bark, smell like him for a little bit, just say, like, I'm not trying to hurt you, brother. I'm trying to help you. If I could just be a dog for a moment to help the dumb dog out, that would have been spectacular. And I'm driving home pretty ticked that I couldn't help the dog. And as I'm driving home, the Lord just drops this bomb on me. He goes, Jason, can't you see that's exactly what I did for you? You were that dog darting out in the middle of the street. You were that dog scared. I came to you trying to express my love for you, and you kept running from me because you were afraid of me. And Jesus did what I could not do. He became a dog to save a bunch of dogs. But let me, let me tell you about the incarnation of Jesus. When he became a dog, it wasn't like Sirius Black. He couldn't change back and forth. He, he kept that dog status. He became a dog to save dogs, and he stayed a dog. One of the craziest messages of the incarnation is that he took on flesh and he never let it go. Right now, he is up at the right hand of the Father in flesh praying. Because you remember, he had a glorified body when he was resurrected. The first fruits will all have a resurrected body like his. He has flesh right now. He became a dog and stayed a dog to save a bunch of dogs who didn't deserve it. He knew there was no way we would come. See, he came originally. Sometimes we wonder, like, why doesn't Jesus just come in power? Like, why don't he just come with angels and thunderbolts and showing his power and just proving that he's the Messiah? Why do you have to come as a little baby? I mean, why not come in the open and not all the secret? Well, here's the reason why. He did it once. He came in power. He was on the top of Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning. And what did the Israelites do? Oh, Moses, go up. We're not going up there. We're scared to death of that God. He comes with a pillar of fire and they go, oh, no, we don't even want to look upon him. He's too majestic and holy. See, he comes as a man trying to reach dogs, you know, and and we're scared to death. We keep darting out. So he has to become a dog to save a bunch of dogs. He does it because it's the only way we would trust him. He took on flesh so he could look like us, smell like us, act like us, and suffer with us so that we could realize he gets us and we don't have to be afraid. And so that we can do what this passage talks about and draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because we know he's not going to hurt us. He's going to help us. Listen, here's what I believe. I believe it's time for you to understand what Jesus Christ has done in his flesh. Jesus Christ has come to you, and he's gotten down on one knee. And he said, come. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you exhausted? Are you afraid? Are you feeling forgotten? Are you feeling like people don't care about you and demeaned? Are you feeling broken? Come to me. Come here. Let me put my arms around you. I want to take that burden off your shoulders. I want to give you rest for your soul. I want to heal you. I just want you to come to me. And the only question is, will you receive his invitation? Today, he's inviting you to the throne room of grace. You just have to say yes. Listen, I I believe God wants to tell you something important. There's a pastor friend of mine who helped me understand this. Last August, I got to go, uh, it was a dream come true for me, to Brooklyn to go visit a church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle, led by a pastor named Jim Cimbala. 
Uh, I had the deacons read his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's a book about the way their church has seen the power of God primarily through prayer. And he's got one of the longest running weekly prayer gatherings in the United States of America and one of the largest, in the, if not the largest, weekly prayer gathering in the United States of America right there in Brooklyn. So the number of us pastors, we went up there just to get to experience it and got to go sit with Pastor Jim Cimbala. And he said something profound. I'll never forget it when he was talking to us pastors at a, a separate time from the prayer gathering. He says, you pastors, I, I need you to hear this one thing. Make sure you understand this. It is not your preaching that is going to change the people in your church. It is not you speaking strong theology, long, loud messages, having great programs that is going to save people. It is the throne of grace that will save people. And pastor, all you need to do is invite people to the throne of grace. And that's where God will bring healing. And I want to say that to you today. My words cannot heal you. This sermon, or any sermon any preacher could ever preach, cannot change your past. It cannot secure your future. It can't heal your pain. It can't heal your body. I have no power. This building has no power. These ministries have no power in and of themselves. But I know the one who does have power. His name is Jesus. And I want to invite you to him this morning. I believe God is calling you to the throne of grace where you can receive what you most need from him. And you don't have to be afraid He's calling you to him. I want to reiterate what this says, because I believe there are some of you who have needs here this morning. And he says, I want you to draw near them with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Listen, when it says with confidence, draw near with confidence, that word in Greek, it means two things. It means boldness as well. But literally, it means openly, like in public, I don't do this just in the quietness of my heart. I do it boldly. I draw near to God publicly for all to see. And that's the invitation I'm going to give you in just a moment. I'm going to invite some of you to publicly declare your faith as you draw near to God. Because some of you in here today need to receive mercy. There are some of you who came to this church and you feel so much guilt and shame because you have sinned and you know it. You have disobeyed God. You have something in your heart that burdens you. And you're wondering if God is angry with you. If you've, if you've just, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe God's done with you. And what you need to know is our God is a God of mercy, but you've got to draw near to him to receive his mercy. And these steps right here are going to become your altar. This is going to become the throne room of Almighty God. Not because of these steps. There's no power in the steps, but there's power in your faith. And if by faith you draw near to God publicly and you come bow down and confess your sin, then you will walk out of this place freed from that sin. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 tells us that truth. And maybe you're going to need to come to this altar of mercy. Confess your sin and say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my brokenness. Forgive me for that action. Forgive me for not believing, whatever it may be. And you walk out of here with mercy upon your shoulders instead of that weight. Or maybe, maybe you have need and you need grace to help in your time of need. Listen, he doesn't quantify the level of need. He doesn't say, when you hit this threshold of need, then you can come into the throne room. He says, whatever needs you have, if it's the biggest need in the world, God can handle it. If it's the smallest need in the world, God cares about it. You just need to bring your need to the throne. And you'll find grace and he'll supply it. The Lord says that he'll meet all of our needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, you can trust that he will meet your needs. 
But you've got to draw near to the throne and present those needs. We're going to have prayer team members who are around here. And the reason we're going to be down front and around is because, like I said before, there's a public nature to this. There's a boldness, which you walk out over here, grab somebody else's hands and say, this is my need. Would you take this with me before the throne so I can receive the help I need in this time? But you've got to be willing to be bold, confident, open. So I'm going to invite you in a moment to do that. But listen, I, I also know there are some of you who are here and what you most need to do is you need to make the confession of faith in Jesus Christ. I, I hope you saw verse 14. We started with this one. Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Then it says, let us hold fast our confession. Let me tell you what this is saying. Before we ever dare walk into the Holy of Holies, there's a confession we need to make. And let me tell you what that confession is. It has three parts. It's not complicated. The first confession is, oh God, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I'm a broken sinner. I've rebelled. I've screwed up. God, I've wrecked this life you've given me. I've failed you, and I confess it. I, I admit it. You have, to, you have to own your need before you'll ever come into the throne of grace to meet your need. That confession is a confession of sin and brokenness. But the second part of that confession is a confession of belief that Jesus Christ can actually save you. He was a real human who died on a real cross, rose from a real grave, and therefore he has real power to save you from your sin. You don't have to walk out of here carrying that sin. It can be absolved and erased from you. You confess your belief in Jesus' power to forgive you. And then the last confession is a confession of ownership. You say, you become my Lord and my master. You become my great high priest. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. I give myself to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What he's saying is today can be the day when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. He has forgiven you of your sins and you can walk out of here saved. You can even do it online right now in your home. You don't have to be in the room. That's how good our God is. But you have to approach the throne of grace and be willing. And just like I talked about before, there was a public nature of that drawing near, that confidence. There's a public nature in confession. And you may need to do that today. So I just, I just I have the sense we need to respond. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you don't mind. I want you to get still before the Lord. I wonder if there aren't some of you who are here and you need to, you need to talk to the Lord right now. So he can hear you right now. Even, even the thoughts of your heart, you don't even have to say it out loud. You just have to mean it by faith. And you might need to pray to the Lord right now, asking him to save you, asking him to restore you, to transform you. If you can, you can pray right now in this quiet moment. Maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't know what to pray. What would I even say? It's not hard. I'm just going to prompt you on what you can speak to him in your own heart. Just take those three parts of the confession. Begin by telling him that you confess that you're a sinner, that you're broken, that you're in need, that you can't save yourself. Just tell him that right now in the quietness of your heart. He's listening. And then just, just tell him that you believe Jesus has the power to, to forgive you of your sins. Tell him that you want him to save you and to wash your sins away. Just invite him to, to cleanse you. Right now he's listening to your heart if you just talk to him. And then just tell him, tell him that you want him to be the Lord of your life. 
Offer him control. Ask the spirit of Christ to come in you and transform you and take over you. He'll do it if you'll just ask him. Tell him that right now. Oh God, hear the prayers of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I want to invite you all to stand up right now if you don't mind. I want to invite our prayer team to come spread around the room and our, our staff. I want to remind you, you have a throne. And there's a God who sits upon that throne who is ready to meet with you. And I want you to draw near to him. If you need to draw near to receive mercy, to confess sin, you don't even have to come to a, a priest or a pastor. You can go right to the Lord. You can bow down on these steps and say, forgive me for this sin. I, I need your mercy. You can draw near to the throne and receive mercy. Or maybe you have a need this morning and you want to draw near to the throne to receive your grace to help you in your time of need. doesn't matter how big or small, but you need to do it publicly with confidence. You draw near and you let one of us know and we will cry out to God on your behalf. Or maybe today's the day where you're willing to confess. You're saying, I, I'm telling the world I'm ready to trust in Jesus Christ. I prayed that prayer with you, Jason. I follow his promptings. I'm ready to trust in Christ. Well, it's time to be public in that confession. You let us know. And we'll take you over to the side and counsel, make sure you understand the gospel. And then we'll give you a t-shirt that says Jesus in my place. And you'll get a chance to, to express your faith publicly in baptism. The old you dead and buried, a brand new you coming with eternal life. That confession can happen today. But it requires the boldness to step out and come let one of us know. So I'm inviting you to the throne of grace where God can meet you and you can meet him. You respond now as you need to.